Welcome back to the Irish Bear Show. It is great to be back. It's finally here. We finally get to talk about an actual game of football. It's been a long, long off season. Ever since we kind of started the show back in March, we've been talking draft, talking all the different moves, but now we can actually talk about a game. I'm joined by one of my regular co-hosts, Tony. Also, you've seen Noel that's been on the show. He's been on during our draft shows as well. And I'd like to introduce Mike as well from uh, Dolphins Talk. It's, again, preview of the Bears versus Dolphins game. So first of all, Mike, how are you getting on today? I'm doing great, guys. How are you guys doing? Yeah, can't be better. Get to talk about football. Great, That's good. Yeah. Noel, how are you getting on? It's been a little bit since we last spoke. Yeah, keeping keeping well. I've been looking forward to this day now. I mean, to be honest, I've, I've never always been as hyped about preseason as I seem to be this year. I think maybe last season with everything that's gone on, just the idea to be able to sit here now and talk about an actual game that's happening later on today, for us anyway, um, is, is fantastic to finally be here. Yeah, absolutely. Look, it, it's really interesting to be able to talk about this game because like you said, no, I don't think I've ever been hyped for a preseason game, even when we've had like the likes of when Trubisky joined, all that sort of stuff. It's It just seems a lot different. Look, Tony, we've spoken about this before. Kind of going through this and just trying to get to a game, it's, it's finally here while there are problems that we've seen recently in training camp, which we will talk about today. At least we've gotten here where we're actually going to get to see a game of football. And it's been a long time, I think. Everything going on with the pandemic, it feels like a very long time since the Bears lost to the Saints in in that um, playoff game. Yeah, that seems like a, a lifetime ago. Uh, and as Noel saying, it's, uh, it's Saturday here for us, so it's game day already. Uh, so I've got the uh, I've got the beers cooling, starting early. No, I'm joking, but uh, yeah, absolutely fired up, ready to go. Um, and I think, as you say, there's been so much anticipation, um, especially since the draft, all the build up. We have no idea what we're going to see on the field because we're decimated by injuries. But um, regardless, we're going to be there. We're going to be there for it and ready to talk about it. Yeah, absolutely. Look, Mike, I want to start with you because, again, we, we've been talking about the Bears for quite a while and a lot of the same sort of storylines. And now the Dolphins come in. They have their joint practices this week. Um, in terms of the off-season moves or some of the storylines in the off-season um, for anybody that wouldn't be following the Dolphins every single week, what has been kind of the main storyline or main addition that you would be excited about as a Dolphins fan going into the upcoming season? Uh, there's two things that really stand out. Number one, the big story of the offseason was Xavier Howard, 10 interceptions last year for Miami, sixth highest paid cornerback in the league, got a big payday just a couple of years ago, but he wanted a new deal and he asked for a trade out of Miami. They didn't want to let him go, so they gave him some incentives. They didn't really give him any new money, but they gave him some incentives to where if he meets them this year, <clears throat> he'll be the highest-paid cornerback in the league, and they also promised him next offseason, next February, March, they will talk about a possible full restructure because there was a chance he wouldn't be in Miami this year. He wanted out, and he made it public, and if he's not there, that changes everything on that side of the ball for Miami. The fact he is there now with incentives in his contract, which will make him highly motivated, to say the least, to get every dime on the table. Um, it just makes everything that Miami does on that side of the ball, which last year was a total strength for them. They caused a ton of turnovers. They brought a ton of pressure, interceptions, multiple ones each week, really helped them 
get to 10 wins. So with him there in the picture, not much else has changed on that side of the ball. A couple guys gone, a few guys in, but nothing major. They're still um, strong on that side of the ball. The offense is where we're going to see, hopefully, big leaps of improvement, and not even with the quarterback, per se. Wide receiver last year was a disaster for the Dolphins. In the offseason, you had Albert Wilson and Alan Hearns, their third and fourth best wide receivers, opt out for the entire year. Their second best wide receiver, Preston Williams, goes down in week eight, out for the year. Parker, their number one wide receiver, gets hurt late in the year. Can't remember the exact week, but the final six, seven weeks, he played through it, but he wasn't 100%. He was hobbling around out there. When you lose your first, second, third, and fourth wide receiver by the end of the year, and you're trotting out guys like Lynn Bowden Jr., who was a quarterback in college, Malcolm Perry, who was a quarterback in college, as like your lead wide receivers, uh, um, as well as guys like Mac Hollins, which is just, you know nice player, but just a guy, nobody special. They literally had nobody to throw the ball to. So when you have a young quarterback with nobody to throw the ball to down the stretch run, it really hampers your offense. And towards the end of the year, we sort of saw that in a few losses with the game against the Broncos, the game against uh, Kansas City where they hung around, but they just didn't have nearly enough offensive firepower to keep up with a team like that, as well as the game against, obviously, Week 17 against the Bills. They got their doors blown off. So this offseason, they went out there, they took – Jalen Waddle, pick number six overall, explosive player, speed, can do it all. They signed Will Fuller out of Houston. You get back Hearns and Wilson. You have Parker now at 100%. You get Preston Williams. He's still out because he had surgery last year, but he's expected to be back by week one. So the wide receiver, which last year was a dumpster fire and a total weakness, is now a strength. So the passing game, and when you have a young quarterback, you need to give him weapons. And the tight end, they have a weapon. And now wide receiver, they have numerous weapons. Yeah, look, if that's definitely something because we spoke about it on, I guess, draft night as well with the addition of Jalen Waddle as well. Because I know, no, I'll bring you in on this one because we were talking about this at the time is who would the Dolphins target? Because it was at that time when we were wondering would the Bears kind of try and move up to to that spot? And then a lot of people, I guess. I don't think they expected it to be Jalen Waddle, but then when you looked back and who hit, who Tua's main target was when he was at Alabama, Jalen Waddle was kind of the main guy. Like Mike says, they had a lot of injuries last year at the wide receiver position. We know what that's like in Chicago, not to have some great <laughs> wide receivers. So we so we feel your pain. But look, no, I guess before we kind of go on to some of the stuff with with the Bears, is what do you expect to see from from the Dolphins? Because from what we've heard in even just the, the practices and obviously watching last year where they had a very impressive season where you can clearly see they're building something. But what do you expect to see from the Dolphins this upcoming season? Um, this year from the Dolphins, actually, I, I do think the Dolphins can have a, a really good season this year. I think they are a very good team. As Mike said, they did suffer from just a crazy amount of injuries that were all focused in one specific position, which really knocked them um, I mean, you look at Tua, his first year, obviously with COVID, he doesn't get a preseason, he doesn't get any friendlies, he doesn't get camp or anything like that. So, I mean, he has a year under his belt. Now we can have the whole preseason go through all that situation, which, I mean, he is a very good player. So that can only benefit him having the, the experience behind him and getting a chance to actually work on the preseason. And then, as you say, with Waddle, it's one of those picks when he, when the pick is actually made, you kind of think, 
yeah, obviously, you know, you have this young quarterback here. You want to make him comfortable. You want to give him, you know, weapons that can really help him develop. And why not take his favorite receiver from college, who himself is a fantastic player. So, no, I do. I, I like the Dolphins team. I think they'll they'll be really good this year. It'll be a it'll be a good division anyway. I'd say it should be a, a tight one. But I think they'll definitely be there thereabouts. Yeah, absolutely. Look, guys, just to remind you all that we are live over on YouTube, so make sure you do head over there and do hit the subscribe button because we have a lot of content coming for you guys today. Um, look, Tony, I, I do want to kind of talk about what we've heard over the last two days in terms of the joint practices because you do get a little bit of insight from those because teams are so used to just kind of practicing with each other and they kind of get stale. But then it seems like when these joint practices come in, you start to see the intensity ramp up a little bit. You see, obviously, a few more fights. Again, what I would say is for a particular tight end on the Dolphins, probably not the smartest idea to go after Khalil Mack. Um, but look, it is it is what he's it is. He's a former Bear, so he's a former Bear player. So yeah, I know. I I don't know, I don't know how you think of him, but I know a lot of Dolphins fans that we were engaging with over the last few days. They probably have the same opinion of Adam Shaheen that we have of Adam Shaheen. So look, <laughs> it is what it is. Tony, what is um what's your opinion of these joint practices? Do you think they're beneficial um for teams, especially with only having now three preseason games? Noel said how it's important for the rookie guys coming in to be able to get some of these game time and being able to practice against a different team can only be beneficial, right? Hundred percent. Hundred percent. You're, you're obviously we've seen the uh, competitions being heated at times, um, and and it should be, you know, you want to see that aggression. You've got your guys going up against, you know, their own teammates, uh, day in day out. You want to go and be able to beat up on someone else, beat up on proper opposition at that point. Um, so yeah, it's it's absolutely hundred percent beneficial. You love to see the heat. You love to see the aggression. Um, you know, anytime you get a fight in training camp, I mean that. If you didn't get one, I'd be shocked. You know, I'd really question things at that point. But uh, but yeah, Adam Sheehan, no idea what he's doing. Uh, yeah, and he he was a he was on the Bears roster. Whether I call him a Bears player or not, I don't know. But he was definitely on the roster anyway. Um, but yeah, um, it's um, it's 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 really beneficial. I think we've seen um, in the first day anyway, both uh, offensive lines looking a bit shaky to start. Uh, both defenses really going at them. Um, but again, both O lines are up against top quality front sevens. Um, I think the the Dolphins front seven, especially, is is is, is emerging. Um, so yeah, uh, it's been a good start, um, and it's, it's set them up well for the game tomorrow. Um, and then after that, we'll we'll kind of get back to just uh, beating up on each other. But it's been a good outlet for the players. Yeah, absolutely, Mike. What do you think that the guys are going to take from this? Because Often it's difficult to kind of gauge, I guess, the progression of a player during training camp because you're going up against the same defense you're going or same defense or offense. You kind of know the tendencies after a while. But then when you get to have some of these joint practices, you can kind of see that competitive streak kind of, I guess, like I said, more it intensifies when you have a new team kind of coming in that you get to practice against. Yeah, I think um, they're very, very helpful. I think you can gain more in a joint practice than you can in an actual preseason game because in the joint practice, it's a controlled environment. If you want to work on your nickel defense, you know, you hope in the game you get some opportunities 
You don't know for sure, though. I mean, odds are, yes, you will get opportunities, but you don't know for sure how many opportunities, how much time you can work on it in a controlled environment against another team where you don't know their players well. You don't know how they're going to react. I think you can work on things and get more value from that than you can in a quote-unquote preseason game where most teams aren't going to play their starters much. In a practice, everyone's got their starters out there. So I think you get more from those. And I know Miami has one um, this upcoming week again with Atlanta. So they're doing another one this week with Atlanta in South Florida. So we uh, we signed up this year for two of them. And I think uh, you're going to see more. I think we'll see more of this as we move forward with one last preseason game. I think it's a way for just to see your guys line up against someone else. And I think we'll see more of it. I think there's a lot of value in it. And I just think um, preseason games – it's nice to have real football back, but you don't see the starters much. And it's a lot of guys who, even if they play well, they're not. when it comes time to the real games, how much are you really going to see those guys? And a lot of those guys are going to be out of a job in a month. Let's just let's be honest. They're going to be out of the league. So it's like it's fun because you get to see the helmets and the pads, real football. But I think in a joint practice, you get more value because your starters participate through the whole joint practice. Yeah, absolutely. I I completely agree. I, I can't remember where I heard that recently. I think it, it was one of the coaches, I think, has even mentioned it, that often these joint practices, like you said, you get to work on things that you want to work on. And it's like we see the preseason game. Like we only have to talk about this and know, kind of look at what Matt Nagy said, that while well, Andy Dalton's going to be the starter, that he's only going to get – I think, what is it, a series or two, and then Justin Fields is going to play probably well into the fourth quarter. But it's just, it's one of those, I think, these joint practices tell you a lot. And I want to kind of go into kind of the quarterback position because, look, it's the one thing that everybody's talking about, especially in Chicago. And, look, I don't care where people are in terms of whether Justin Fields should play week one or whether Andy Dalton should play because, look, at the end of the day, it's going to play out the way it's going to play out. But where I want to see is in the joint practices, in the first day, now granted, the likes of Marquise Goodwin and Alan Robinson weren't, weren't out there, but you saw that Andy Dalton struggled and you saw that Justin Fields had an up and down day. He had a couple of nice passes, but then other than that, it was kind of just a normal day, nothing too special. But then the difference was that second practice where pretty much every single beat reporter out there said Justin Fields was probably the best quarterback that was on the field that day. And it's something that we've seen from Justin over the course of training camp and through the OTAs that when he makes one mistake in one practice, he rarely makes the same mistake again. And it's something that he has said as well, that it's one thing that he that he really liked what he was able to do at Ohio State is when he made one mistake, he rarely made that mistake again. What do you think Justin Fields actually needs to do now to, I guess, start this, I guess, training camp battle? Because right now we know that Matt Nagy has said that Andy Dalton is the starter. But what do you think Justin Fields has to do to kind of, I guess, make make Matt Nagy second guess that initial thought that he had? Um, well, in terms of Matt Nagy saying that he, he's going with Dalton, I mean... I. I don't fully understand that, to be honest. To be fair, I'd rather you just let them fight it out and let the best man win. But So, assuming that that's... You see, it's hard to know. If Nagy is saying that that's his decision and that's it, it's hard to know what Fields can do to, to change that, unless that's just what he's saying. 
But I mean, from Fields' point of view, at the end of the day, just go out and do what he's been doing. Just make those throws, make the plays. And I mean, he can't do any more than that. I mean, at the end of the day, the, the, the cream will rise to the top. And if he is who we think he is compared to Dalton, you will see the difference. And then it just comes down to Nagy on whether or not he is serious that Dalton is starting no matter no matter what happens. Or maybe in the back of his mind, he's just kind of, maybe he said that to take the pressure off Fields a little bit. But at the end of the day, if Fields plays well and does better than Dalton and basically forces it to Nagy to say, look, this is this is what I can do. I mean, I think I've seen that's that that rollout throw, the the kind of I think it may have been to Riley, the kind of sidearm throw to, to Riley where he, he rolled out to the left. I mean, if he keeps doing things like that, then you do put the pressure on Nagy to to make that decision at the end of the day. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Tony, you had a you had a point on this as well, didn't you? Yeah, no, I, I just just on the on the back of that and the way that you know the, the whole fields things happen, and I think um, what gives it a wee bit extra validation is the fact that you know he's had a really really good uh, showing in practice, but not just against his own teammates. He's he's gone up against an opposition team and he's looked really good. You know, seeing uh, uh, kind of defensive lineups that he wasn't maybe expecting, and he's maybe familiar with some of the other players that he's been playing with week, uh, day in and day out at, at camp. So I think in, in that aspect, you know, it's, it's impressive, you know, for, for a young guy to come in and have such a, you know, a really good day. Obviously, it's just one one day of, of training. Um, so, you know, I don't get too crazy about it. But um, on the back of what Noel's saying, yeah, what he needs to do is go and stack them now, you know, having game after game and day after day. And I think if he goes out tomorrow or tonight, however you want to look at it, um, and has uh, a really, really good game and, you know, outplays Dalton, and even Dalton's only going to have a couple of drives, as you say, but if he looks really impressive, carries it in his training again this week and then in next week's uh, game against the, the Bills, then for Nagy, you know, that you, you, it's great that he's given him those questions, those headaches, um, but yeah, I just wanted to point out, you know, obviously the fact he's playing against this other team, but still playing really well, um, is, is, is impressive for such a young guy. Yeah, absolutely. Look, Michael, I kind of want to get your opinion on this because obviously going into the draft this year, you guys got your guy last year into it and you kind of got to sit back and kind of see where the chips would fall, get kind of whether it was going to be the best offensive player that was available or if they had always wanted to go and get Jalen Waddle. So what was your opinion of kind of the quarterbacks going into the 2021 draft? Because we've, look, we, we were kind of breaking it down for weeks before the draft and we were still a little bit confused why Justin Fields was falling. And it seemed like it was a very similar situation to what we saw back in probably 2017 when Deshaun Watson was falling that, People were saying, oh, his his arm strength isn't as good. Then he comes to the league and it, it's perfectly fine. There was a couple of guys that said, like, Justin Fields' work ethic wasn't up there. But then every single report since he's been at the Bears is that he came to training camp like three weeks early. That he's been working out that the other knock on him was to do with his arm strength. And yet he's able to zip the ball in with pretty much ease. So what was your opinion of these quarterbacks heading into the 2020 draft? Yeah, um, on our website and our podcast, we have um, in the lead up to the draft, we go over all the positions of the guys who are going to be in the draft. We talk about them. We break it down. We have on draft 
experts and all that stuff, guys who watch a ton of film. And I watch a lot of college football. And I got to be honest, Lawrence, number one, obviously no brainer. Nobody's going to argue that. Zach Wilson, and I said it, and thank God it's archived because I know it's going to prove me right. That I, I don't think he's that good. I think he's okay. He's not bad. I think he's fine. But the fact he went to New York is just a bad match. That If he went to, like, any other city, Arizona, Atlanta, you name any other city, I don't know, any other city in the league, New York was the worst possible landing spot for him, and it has proven out that, you know, his mother's a train wreck all over social media. She won't even leave social media. She's causing trouble. I think if I were the Jets, I would have seriously considered Fields there because I think he's a better fit for that town, that city, that market, and for what they need. I think what hurt Fields, and it's not no fault of his own, Dwayne Haskins and all Ohio State quarterbacks previous to Justin Fields, they've seen them come in the league and fail, and nobody has any confidence in Ohio State quarterbacks, which is unfair because every quarterback is an individual, and you can't judge them on where they went to college. That's like saying Trevor Lawrence is going to fail because the last Clemson quarterback in round one was E.J. Manuel, and he stunk. Well, no, they're two different people. It makes no sense. And I think that's what hurt Fields was Haskins went in round one to Washington, however many years ago now, not that many years ago. And, you know, he failed. And I think people say, here comes another Ohio State quarterback. And that's why I think he fell. I thought he was the second best quarterback in his class. Trey Lance is good. If you want to say Trey Lance was second and Fields was third, nobody's going to really argue with you too much until we actually see something on the field. I thought that's fair too. But the Zach Wilson one scares me. Um, so I, I think Fields is going to be okay. I think he's uh, he's got everything you want in a quarterback, and it really comes down to can he be coached upright and can they surround him with talent? Because for any quarterback, you can have the best quarterback in the world. If he's got nothing around him, you're done. Look at the Jets with Sam Darnold. Coming out of USC, everyone said this guy's the next great quarterback. They gave him horrible coaching, and they gave him no help. And now he's on his second team, and nobody has any faith in him. And it'll be the same thing with Haskins. You put talent around him, it'll be great. You don't, ain't going to work out. Yeah, it, it, it's very strange because the fact that you look at some of these scouts that probably did do that, they look at Ohio State quarterback. Let's kind of look at somebody else. I, I kind of go back to even the whole Patrick Mahomes thing where the offense that he was in, people were convinced he couldn't do it in the NFL. That they're saying he's in this air raid offense. We've seen this happen before where – Guys have come in there. They've had these great numbers in college, come to the NFL, can't do anything. And it's one of those biases that a lot of scouts do have. And it's you see it even with certain – like the the one that I always found was funny, I think it was a couple of years ago when the Steelers took uh, J.J. Watt's brother. And people were like, oh, well, people are only hyping him up because he's J.J. Watt's brother. Lo and behold, comes into the NFL as one, one of the best offen- or outside linebackers in the NFL. And TJ has been – has been great ever since it's it's one of those things that i i never quite understand that you should kind of separate each season from one another especially when a program has changed coaches and has a completely different offense but it is one of those that it's it's gonna take time for i guess certain scouts that they have to realize that if you keep doing this that's when most of the mistakes are actually made early on here's the one i hate and it drives me nuts because i hear it every year and it happened this year with Fields, actually, when they say, well, when was the last great quarterback to come up oh. to Ohio State? Which I always say, I don't know. I don't care. 
if the Miami Dolphins had that logic in 1983, they would have said, who's the last great quarterback to come out of pit? And they don't draft Marino. You can't go by what history is at a school as a reason not to draft a guy because you'll never draft anybody. That's like, you know, when John Elway went first. Well, who's the last great quarterback to come out of Stanford? Who knows? Who cares? It's John Elway. He's great. I'm taking him. You don't overthink. I think people overthink this stuff. In this era, I always say, and I truly believe it. The nerds have ruined the sport of football because analytics, PFF, they put so much. Sometimes you just got to know football. You watch the games. Your eyes don't lie to you. I know what I'm watching. I've been watching this sport my entire life. And that's just me as a more educated fan. When you talk about assistant coaches who have grown up, watch more film than all of us all put together probably on years in earth, they know football. Sometimes you, just, you don't look at the PFFs and the analytics. and You just throw it aside. You go, I've seen football my entire life. He's really good. I don't care what his height is. I don't care where he went to college. I don't care what his stats say. We can take that guy, coach him up, and he'll be fine. And that's, I think, analytics in a lot of ways has really ruined the sport. And it's got a lot of people fired as well. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's one of those that I completely agree. I completely hate it. It's We see it, obviously, with the NFL, even being over here in Europe, that they, they started doing it with kind of European soccer and stuff as well. And I keep trying to convince people that the stats and the analytics to go with it should be confirming what you see on tape. And if it doesn't, then you need to go back and look at it again. But at the end of the day, it's the eye test that really matters. Like the one actually that reminds me of all this happening was uh, Orlando Brown. What was it two year, two, three years ago that he came out and you looked at him on tape and everybody was impressed. And then Combine came and he had poor numbers there. I don't know why. But then he falls. I can't remember what round he fell to. But then becomes a, a very good tackle and gets traded for, what, a first or second round pick this, this season. It happens every single year because, like you said, there's teams that maybe t- are over-reliant on statistics and analytics. And, it, it, look, it's an important thing to have. But at the end of the day, I, I do agree. I think, Scouts, you need to be looking at the tape, first of all, and then use all that information you have to kind of back up. Like, how many times do we tool. see... It's one like, tool. And yeah. I think a lot of front office people would rather say, if I, okay, I'm going to make this pick. I'm going to either look great like a genius or be wrong. And if I'm wrong, I want to have something to back me up to say, the paper said we had to take them. So if you were in this role, you would have took them. When they use it as an excuse and a crutch, when it shouldn't be, it's just one tool of an overall process. But a lot of people, when because they know the pressure's on. These guys don't get three, four, five years anymore to have a franchise built. They get one or two, probably two most times. And if you still lose after a year two, you're either A, on the hot seat, or you're gone. And they'd rather be wrong to say, hey, we just followed the blueprint. And it's ruined the sport. It, it really has. Yeah, absolutely. Look, guys, make sure that you do catch us over onto YouTube. Again, we are live. We will be live after the game tomorrow as well. So make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss any of that. Look, Tony, I want to bring you in on this one as well because it's something that we haven't really spoken about to a large degree on the show yet, but it's always been something that I I never quite understood why that was the case, why there's teams that are only focused on kind of the stats, the analytics, and even some of the fan base that do the same thing. Because you look at when you're trying to compare players, and the one thing that I guess has come up recently is the whole offensive line with the Bears and trying to compare Charles Leno and people who are using the stats over all the years. But then I just go, I saw Charles Leno so many times look like a ballerina out there where he doesn't know where he's, who he's 
trying to block and people say oh he never gets injured and my whole joke is always well he doesn't get injured because he doesn't block anybody like that's just that's just me looking at it and i'm like i don't really care what all the stats say because you can use stats to back up any opinion you have no matter how silly your opinion is but it gets to the point of we see it every week you look at pro football focus and people are like how are they ranking this player ahead of this player and it's because they're using all these stats without actually looking at what's happening in the game. Yeah, there's there's the old saying, there's truth lies and statistics, you know. So um, people are very selective with the facts um, to back up whatever point they're trying to make. And you find that across all walks of life. It's not just in football analytics. It's in sciences and everything you know um so people people will be be selective um again there's there's no substitute for the naked eye uh, and watching uh, a guy play on the field and you know when you watch him on the field what you're getting as as mike was saying there as well but again we live in this world now where everything needs to be justified and it has to be backed up with well this is why we did it rather than saying well I'm going to sit you down and let you watch 10 hours of film, you know, because most people are not going to sit and do that. They're going to say, well, I'm just going to give you these stats that I've pulled from PFF and you can see because that's why we signed this guy. Um, the other problem is as well is the the media for a lot of people are their only source of information because, again, they're not going to watch everything maybe in college. They're not going to watch every snap of every player either. So they're going to be getting whatever information um, they have on a player or a team from what they're reading on an article or whatever, um, if they're if they're not um, watching every snap and every game, so it is it's really difficult and um, and you feel bad for a lot of these guys and as 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 uh, someone was saying there as well, you know, jo- jobs are lost over these things. So it's it's not uh, it's it's not a, a minuscule thing. It's a really really um, big issue, uh, a significant issue, and it's very very prevalent nowadays. <laughs> yeah, this is a good comment here. Bearsley Dolphins. Jordan Howard gets to watch his two exes get together. Yeah, it must be, it must be a tough one for Jordan Howard to watch. He ate his way through COVID. He showed up last year. That guy was weighing close to three bills easy. And he goes, I don't know why I got cut. Why? Because you couldn't move. I mean, you were huge. <laughs> and that, it, it's a shame, actually, because in terms of a lot of Bears fans have fond memories of. Yeah, he was great with you guys. Yeah, he was good for for us. And then, I don't know. I don't know what happened. It was just the team and him just soured. I think it was probably through a contract. So the fact that we got anything for him at that that stage was was good for us. But look, it's one of those that we could probably go on all day about kind of all the stats and all that sort of stuff because it is a really interesting topic. And it's just one of those that I think – People need to get back to, I guess, the old way of looking at things where the film is the key. And that's where I've spoken to a lot of guys that have come on the show that, have, that do this for a living in terms of they, they're they looking at so much game tape and that's really where they want to base it off. But like you said, Mike, there's a lot of teams that do rely heavily on analytics. Sure, we saw for a couple of seasons, what was it, the Browns brought over one of the yeah. analytics guys from the Mets and we're seeing like all that. Thing, like in baseball. Like yeah. ball, which it do, it doesn't work in football. There's too many players. There's too many rosters. You know, I hear people after a game they start running down stats like, well, you know, you gave up 
400 something yards on defense. Yeah, I don't care how many yards you give up. Because if you look at the big scoreboard, the big giant jumbotron, they keep scoring points. I don't care how many yards you give up, how many points you give up. Because that's what they keep scoring points, not yards, not third down conversion percentage, not sacks. It's points. So I care about how many points I gave up on defense. And on offense, I care about how many points we put up. I don't care if we were one of eight on third down, if we're scoring on first and second down every time. You know, it's like, who cares? It's like people look and they focus on the wrong things because. I think especially nowadays with the internet, social media, everyone's an expert. Everybody's an expert. And half these people, you know, don't know their ass from their elbow. And they like to roll out a bunch of stats to make themselves sound smarter than they are. When at the end of the get at the end of the day, this sport will always be just brute strength and putting up points. And there's really not much to overthink it. And I think old time football coaches, which we see less and less of, is these we see these um, teams now, what are younger and younger guys, early 30s, mid 30s, you know, the old time football coach, you know, like a Mike Zimmer type or uh, Vic Fangio. Those guys are being sort of phased out, but those guys, you know, they might not be great head coaches per se, but they know football. They know football. They know what it takes to win, but their voices are getting silenced by, you know, the analytic side because that's where this sport is going. It's always changing, and that's one of the changes. I don't think it's for the best. I think there needs to be a healthy mix. I'm not saying you totally ignore it, but it's one tool, not the only tool. Yeah, absolutely. Look, there's there's one question here that I actually want to ask you now. So I do want to get back to kind of talking about some of these the, the two offenses because we kind of look at both defenses, and we will look at that in, in a couple of minutes as well, how, how good they can be. But just to kind of finish up, there is a question here that I want to kind of bring to you. Um so, do you see Matt Nagy keeping Andy a quarterback while creating a Taysom Hill package for Justin Fields? Now, we had this on a previous show. I think it was Scott that um, brought it up that he said that he would like to see Justin Fields out there for a few packages, or even in games where he's not going to be starting. Now, I've already made my, I guess, opinion known in terms of I just want Justin Fields out there when he's going to be starting. I don't need to have him go out there for a couple of series and, and I guess – possibly get injured look we saw it happen with mitch last year he wasn't playing when Foles is in there he is doing one run and ends up getting injured what's your opinion on that do you think it's a good idea that there is some packages for justin fields or do you think that he should just go in whenever he's completely ready to take the reins of the quarterback position yeah no I, i'm with you i mean <laughs> it sounds nice and teary but really I think like just leave him out and when you think he's ready to play, let him come in as the quarterback and play. I mean, I don't, I don't know. Sometimes you can be a bit too cute. And then as you say, then we found out when Trubisky tried that last year and well, that's just backfired terribly. Um, now Maggie obviously has been known over, over the years to, to like a few trick plays here and there and bring a player in that you wouldn't expect. But no, I mean, look, just develop him, get him ready. And when he's ready to go, bring him in as the number one and you know, leave all that under kind of mess into the side. Yeah, look, I, I understand it where in certain situations, like, for example, the end of a half or the end of the game and you're throwing a Hail Mary, I definitely prefer Justin Fields to have to throw it than Andy Dalton. You've seen that in for other teams as well where that kind of comes in. Um, there's a question here I'll ask you, Mike, and it's, it's kind of an important one because we were talking a little bit about this kind of off air as well. Um, so where does Tua have to improve from last year? Look, 
we, we saw that he had some very good moments for Dolphins and then times that he struggled. So I guess to break this up into two parties, what do you think that he has to do from last year in terms of improvement? And what have you seen or heard thus far in the offseason where he's gone about trying to improve those areas? Yeah, there's a lot to unpack here. So let me break this down in a couple of ways. Number one, um, one thing, people who might not follow the Miami Dolphins week in, week out like I would do, have to understand when they took him last year in the draft at number five, he was still not 100%. So, and with no preseason games, no, I mean, they had training camp, but it wasn't the same. It's not with that stuff. He really was never 100% last year. He was pretty much rehabbing the whole year last year. And the one thing he's done this offseason is transformed his body. He is now much stronger, much thicker in a positive way, not fat, obviously all muscle. And he has just uh, transformed himself into what an NFL quarterback needs to be from uh, sort of size-wise and sort of physically in the hip issue is now 100% behind him as well. So he is, from a physical standpoint, not the same person we saw last year. Because last year, at the end of the year, once he did get in and he went 6-3 and three as a starter, the end of the year, he, he was having trouble. And I know people say, well, they took him out of games. Yeah, part of the reason is because his body was still breaking down at the end of the year. Because after he never was 100%, he rehabbed. He was okay enough to play, but then his body started to break down. And if you watch those final three or four games, which I know nobody will do, he was throwing all arm and he got no help from his legs and from his lower body because he was just worn down from all the rehab from the hip surgery. So just um, that's the main thing. The second thing is this offense is now catered to him. When Ryan Fitzpatrick is here, they brought in Chan Gailey, and Chan had worked with Fitzpatrick with the Jets and also with the Bills. He, he had an offense built for Ryan Fitzpatrick, not for Tua Tungavailoa. And it actually just came out, um, I think, Wednesday of this week where Chan Gailey said, yeah, I was surprised when, when we played Tua because he came out of retirement and he thought he was going to coach Fitzpatrick for the entire year. He wasn't prepared to coach a rookie um, with that style of offense. So I think now with um, – they actually have two offensive coordinators. It's a unique situation. But the offense is catered to Tua. So you have a healthier Tua – you have one that now has an offense he'll be running that is catered to his strengths, 100% catered to his strengths. And also, like I said earlier, with the weapons, he has real wide receivers to throw to, like capable guys. Will Fuller is a big-time NFL wide receiver. Parker, when he's healthy, is a big-time NFL wide receiver. Waddle, as a rookie, we hope, turns into, you know, he's often compared to Tyreek Hill. If he's anything even close to Tyreek Hill, will be a big-time NFL wide receiver. That's not counting the secondary guys like Preston Williams, Allen Hearns. Wilson as your like second group guys. So he has weapons. He has a big time tight end too. And Mike, uh, Mike Gusecki, um, he has weapons. He's healthier and he has the right offense. That's where we hope to see him make a leap. And, you know, last year he went six and three as a starter. And if you listen to Fox sports, Colin Cowherd, ESPN, you think he couldn't tie his own shoes and walk out of the locker room. He was that bad. He wasn't that bad. If you compare him to the year Herbert had, yeah, it wasn't the year Herbert had, but, Okay, it still doesn't mean he was bad. It just means Herbert was better, which is not the end of the world. Um, and he was good last year. Now we hope to see progress in year two where he takes another step, becomes better. Yeah, it's look, I completely agree because I think a lot of people have unrealistic expectations for quarterbacks as well, especially in their rookie year. I constantly mention this on the show because – Obviously, there's a lot of people that are very excited about Justin Fields, want him to play very early on. And I keep going on and we talk about how good 
Justin Herbert was last year, and yet still the he's Chargers were yeah. How good could he have been? I mean, yeah, he put up nice stats as they were losing every week. Yeah, exactly. Like that's the thing is, again, they only won seven games, and it's difficult. Even if you're a rookie quarterback and you play well, it, it's difficult for you to win if your entire team's not ready. Like the one thing I keep kind of coming back to, and even though, well, it may not make sense for the individuals, but I remember Kyle Long talking about. Mitch Trubisky when he came in and he said that Mitch Trubisky was ready for the Bears but the Bears weren't ready for him and that's so true with a lot of these quarterbacks that come in we we talk about even kind of Zach Wilson earlier that even if he is a good quarterback does anybody really believe the Jets are ready to take that next leap I don't think so it's it's a it's a tough situation and I'm I've always been a big fan of of Tua ever since kind of watching him in college for Alabama and it was kind of unfortunate to see where he was kind of being, he pulled, got pulled twice. Cause I look when you're an outsider and you're not really focusing in on the wins and losses, it's nice to see some of these young guys. But like you said, at the end of the day, the Dolphins won 10 games and he, he got the, I think what was it? Six and three overall for, for the and, season. Yeah, He was a six and three, 11 touchdowns, five interceptions, Quarterback rating was like 87-ish. Completion percentage was like 64-ish. For a rookie, I mean, 11 touchdowns, five interceptions alone, if you ignore everything else, solid numbers. Two-to-one touchdown-to-interception ratio, I'll take that any day of the week. Completion percentage, sure, it needs to be a little bit higher, but it wasn't awful. Quarterback rating, which is a stat some people put a lot of things, some people don't, was not awful again. And when he was pulled out of games, again, for people who don't follow every week or if you just listen – to, you know, Fox Sports, ESPN, NFL Network. They don't put it in context. They just don't put it in context. Yeah. And, you know, he was pulled at the end of the Broncos game. Yeah, why? Because he was getting sacked like eight times. He's got the bad hip. His body's breaking down. They lost the game anyways. He missed, what, two series, three series? Not like he was benching the first half or the first quarter. He was benched at the end of the game for a couple series, and they lost anyways. So they saved him from taking more of a beating. In the game against the Raiders, the same type of thing. They would have lost if not for the luckiest play maybe in NFL history with Fitzpatrick in his head. I mean, it's not like they took him out and put in a superstar. They put in Fitzpatrick for a couple series to to hopes to spark something and to save this kid from just taking hit after hit because the offensive line lost a few guys. It was banged up as well at the end of the year. So he wasn't – I mean, with him being benched, he might have missed. I mean, when you're talking about series – like five it's not like he missed entire stretches of games we're talking small parts here to save this kid who was still rehabbing a major hip injury from just taking a beating and you know they weren't probably going to win anyways they got lucky against the raiders total luck i'll take it i'd rather be lucky than good but it's like people i mean oh my god he was be- he was benched at the end of the game he wasn't benched in the first quarter you know he got he kept him in the game to where at least it was close enough to where there was a reason to put somebody else in yeah, look, it's important to kind of look at these, I guess, these young quarterbacks in context. And Tony, this is where I want to bring you in. Because I guess looking at what we've seen over the last year, and while it's a little bit different, because like we said, some of the quarterbacks that came in last year did not have preseason games. They had kind of shortened camps. And we saw it ourselves with the likes of Cole Komet even. Didn't really get that chance to kind of flourish in the offense. We only saw him kind of come into his own towards the end of the season. We saw that with a lot of rookies last year. But if we look at the same idea and around the same, I guess, context in terms of Ryan Fitzpatrick, veteran quarterback, comes in, 
we have Andy Dalton, veteran quarterback, comes in. You're, you start the season with your rookie being on the bench. Um, what do you think is a realistic expectation for Justin Fields this year? What do you think, I guess, would, I guess, garner success as a, as a rookie quarterback? Because we're here talking about Tua, who personally I, I believe can become a very good quarterback in, in the NFL because you just have to look at some of the traits that he has, the leadership that he has while – some people that, like Mike says, it doesn't re- that don't watch him week in week out may say, "Oh, he didn't have a great year." But I think a lot of that is down to expectation as well. When you're such a high draft pick as well, so for you, what would what would constitute a successful season coming out of Justin Fields? Yeah, I think it's interesting. Um, you know, there, there are the kind of blueprints there. Uh, with Tua in terms of how many people see the start of Justin Fields' career. Um, you know, as you say, Ryan Fitzpatrick, Andy Dalton, it's the same kind of setup that they've got there. Um, and I think, what was it, Tua came in after, like, is it week six, I think he came in. Yeah, so, you know, I think a lot of people were, you know, they're kind of thinking the same thing for Dalton, you know, wait until we're maybe four, five, six weeks into the season and then, Put him in if he's ready to go and all this kind of thing, which is which is fair enough. Um, you know, I've I've said many times on the show I'm a big proponent of starting if if Fields is ready to go in week one, I would start him from week one because these first year reps are so valuable. Um, and I think you'll you'll see that with Tua this year. The fact that he got he got a good number of games under his belt last year um, is going to be really beneficial. But success for Fields this year for me. Um, you know, I've said it before, we're not going to win the Super Bowl. We're not going to win the division. We may not even have a winning record. Um, and that, to me, is fine because you've got to strike a balance. Um, and depending on who your franchise is, what your quarterback situation is, what the rest of your team situation is, depends how you look at success. And for us, I think if Fields comes in, gets a year as a starter under his belt, gets that exposure, gets that experience in year one and still then has another three, probably four um, years of his contract left after that, then that's hugely beneficial for the franchise moving forward. We're going to go into next season, we're going to have a lot more draft, uh, a lot more um, cap space uh, for adding players in, building roundabout. You know, this, as I've said several times, is a transition year. So success for me is fields just getting on the field getting that exposure, getting that experience uh, and and learning this first year and, and let's see where it goes. Yeah, look, one of the other big storylines that came out of camp and Tony, we've spoken about this before so Noel, I want to get your opinion on it. Last time we spoke about the offensive line was back probably a couple of days after the draft. Charles Dano got cut. Um, they brought in Larry Borm, they brought in Tevin Jenkins and Really, since camp started, it seems like somebody is getting injured every single day. We're down, what is it, three offensive tackles, two guards. It's really a makeshift offensive line right now. So how worried are you, I guess, first of all, just for these preseason games? Because there's a lot of people saying that they don't want Fields to start because the offensive line is going to be so weakened. But I guess the other side of the coin is, how worried are you or are you concerned for week one or do you think it's still early in camp and eventually some of these guys will come back? 
Yeah, no, I'm not. I'm not ready to hit the panic button just yet. But there, there's definitely concern. I mean, I think what doesn't help this situation is the Bears are notoriously difficult when you're trying to find out exactly what is going on. I mean, the Tevin Jenkins injury sort of came out of nowhere, and initially, you know, it wasn't too bad. We're just going to take care of him. You know, he was pulling his weights up the hill, and he was. You know, he was getting better. The arrow was pointing up and, and then suddenly he wasn't doing anything but standing there with, with a piece of paper watching training. So, I mean, I'm, I'm not going to panic. I, it's it's just, it's unlucky that there's been so many players from the one position group that, that seemed to be hit. Um, I don't know if, I know you've mentioned the strength and conditioning. I don't know if, if they've looked at, if there's something being done that that is causing this. Um in terms of fields behind the offensive line, I'm not overly worried in preseason because chances are fields wasn't going to be out there with the ones anyway. So really, was the first choice O-line going to be in front of him during the preseason anyway? Probably not. Um, week one, if if we're still missing, I mean, left guard, or, sorry, left tackle is going to be so important now. I mean... I have no problem with them getting getting rid of Leno. I was I was happy with it at the time. I had no problem. I saw them bringing Jenkins in. I thought they'd have enough time to slot him in there, you know, to see if he could develop into that left tackle. Um, but now they have been so unlucky. You're looking at it as if there there, there is no tack, there's nobody there now with NFL left tackle experience on that roster. And you know, if that's going to be a bit of concern. I mean, to be honest, if we go to Week One, going up against Aaron Donald and and the Rams. Um, yeah, I think that would be a bit of concern. But as you say, it's kind of early yet, so I'm not, I'm not going to hit that panic button yet. We're just going to see how things develop. And, and I don't know, maybe when, when cuts are happening in the NFL, maybe we'll see them go for a tackle or two just to, you know, get some players in. Yeah, it's less than ideal, to say the least. But look, it's uh, the one thing is, I think I agree. I think if it gets towards that time where that third preseason game is going, they still haven't got some guys back. You could definitely see one or two guys being being brought in. I'm, look, I'm a little bit, uh, I guess, relaxed about it. I'm not sure what's going on with Tevin Jenkins. The way the coaching staff talks about it, it just seems like they're just managing them until week one comes around and suddenly you'll see them starting week one. Something very similar. I mentioned this probably about a week or two ago. The exact same thing happened with Leonard Floyd in his first year, that he wasn't practicing for about two or three weeks in training camp. And then suddenly it's that first game. I can't remember who, who it was against, whether it was the Bengals or if I can't, I can't remember exactly, but he was start, he just was starting week one. And it's, it's one of those that's tricky. But look, I think James Daniels probably comes back if there's a game on, he's probably not out. I think it's just the fact that it's still training camp. He's a he's a veteran at this point in time. They're taking it easy with him because he was coming off injury from last season. I think Jermaine Effetti probably makes it for week one. He he might be a question, but I don't think it's going to be too long in terms of his injury. Larry Boren will will make it for for week one because again he had a concussion takes a certain amount of time before you're actually allowed to go back onto the practice field. So it, it it's an interesting one. But look, we got a little snippet of what was happening in the two joint practices. And this is where I want to bring you in, Mike, because it sounded like the two defensive lines are really kind of showing their worth against kind of the two offensive lines. Both Bears defensive lines seem to be 
at Tua the whole time where he was kind of running around. And we saw the same thing happen when it was the Dolphins defensive line against the Bears offensive line. So I guess two questions for you. First, in terms of your offensive line, how confident are you going into the season? Obviously, with Tua kind of coming in for his second season, we've seen how important offensive lines have become in football, and there's not a lot of good ones out there. That's why every single season there is at least 10 to 12 teams that are looking for offensive linemen and probably even more. And then at the same point is how, I guess, satisfied and confident are you with this defense coming into 2021 after such a great performance from last year? Yeah, um, offensive line, the Miami Dolphins have been unable to fix their offensive line in many years. Now, last year they used a first-round pick on Austin Jackson, who looked okay. They used a second-round pick on Robert Hunt, who they moved around from right tackle to right guard, and this year they're going to put him at right guard, which is where he should be. And once again, he looked okay. They used a fourth-round pick on Solomon Kinley, who last year looked great. So far this year in camp, he's been running with the third string, so I don't know what the heck's going on there. It's not a good sign. Um, and then this year in round two, they traded up to take Liam Eichenberg out of Notre Dame. So they have a lot of youth on their offensive line. So I don't expect this to be an offensive line that out of the gate's going to be strong. I think with I think in years to come it could be very strong, but this year it's going to be a work in progress until they can sort of work this out. So it might take them a few weeks into the regular season before they sort of gel and sort of get their feet under them as a unit because there is a lot of youth. Even at center, they're starting a 30-year a 30-year player that has played very little since he was drafted by Miami. So it's a lot of youth across the board. And it's something that with Tua, that hip, it's 100% now, but something like that, you just don't want him hit. You just don't want – you don't want your quarterback hit regardless. With him, because of that, you really don't want him hit. So um, it's something that's always a concern in the mind of fans of the Dolphins. Other side of the ball, Miami Dolphins, when it comes to our head coach, Flores, even though he doesn't call the plays on defense, he has his hands all over that side of the ball. He's a mastermind on that side of the ball. And from a talent perspective, we have a lot of talent uh, in the front seven, a lot of speed, a lot of uh, some size now. Second round pick last year, Raekwon Davis, when he is on his game, motivated and ready to go, he is just unblockable. Emmanuel Agba last year had a ton of sacks, especially the first eight, nine weeks, just sacks, sacks, turnovers every week. Um, linebackers, they're they have a lot of guys in McKinney who they traded for from Houston and Jerome Baker, who they just gave a long-term deal to with money. And then around one, they took Jalen Phillips again. And you're right about offensive linemen because when you have a good one, i.e. Laramie Tunsil, you'll find a team that will give you their pr- pretty much their <laughs> entire draft <laughs> for like three years in a row like we got, which has helped build this team because we've had all of Houston's quality picks and all of our quality picks. And it's the gift that keeps on giving because we trade those picks to get more picks. We have taken Houston's draft the past two years in rounds one, two, and three, which is all I care about, and just added so much talent on our team thanks to the Houston Texans and Bill O'Brien. Love you, Bill. <laughs> yeah, look, that, that's one greatest impressive trade one. Greatest yeah, like... I like Larry Tunsil. Larry Tunsil is a great player. It's not a knock on Larry Tunsil. Bill O'Brien called them like four or five times. Chris Greer told him no every time. The last offer, Chris Greer calls in Laramie Tunsil, and on the on the whiteboard was all the picks. Laramie Tunsil said, I would trade me for all that. 
So everyone understood what was going on. Larry Tunsil wasn't mad. He was like, I understand why you're trading me. Yeah, look, <laughs> at the end of the day, it was, it's one of those that you kind of were able to fleece a very bad organization. We're seeing Absolutely. what the Texans are becoming right now, and it's, it is kind of crazy to kind of think how much you got back. And like you said, sometimes that's important. If there's a guy that's not going to be the cornerstone piece of your team and you can get that much for him, like you would do it every single day of the week. And you've seen what the Dolphins have been able to do. And they've built that team pretty quickly. And it's a very young team. That's what I like in terms of watching kind of the AFC. I like watching kind of some of these young up and coming teams because look, we're past the period of time of where New England, they're just dominating everybody. Now we're seeing who can put it up to the Kansas City Chiefs in the AFC because that's kind of the next one that I think team or fans of opposing teams are going to start hating because you look at the see, it's got the old guard, Tom Brady, Rogers, Breeze just retired. It's the old school, the old guard. The AFC is where all the young quarterbacks from Pat Mahomes, Mayfield, Josh Allen, Trevor Lawrence, who I think is going to be really good. The young quarterbacks are in the AFC, which is going to be exciting for years to come. The NFC's got that old guard sort of now being phased out. Last year was Breeze. Tom Brady probably be another year or so. Rodgers, same thing. And the AFC is where the young, young talent is, especially a quarterback. That's why the AFC, even with Lamar Jackson, I mean, these guys I'm not even mentioning, Joe Burrow, I mean, just the yeah. young, talented quarterbacks are loading up in the AFC. Yeah, and that's why it's exciting as a Bears fan being able to bring in Justin Fields now before you can kind of – look, I think it was the perfect timing. You can sense that Aaron Rodgers at some point in time over the next couple of seasons will move on from Green Bay. And at that point in time, it's all about the other teams trying to take advantage because at the end of the day, you look at Green Bay's roster, and I keep saying it before, is that Aaron Rodgers is the best deodorant in football where – he is the only thing really on that team that's stopping Green Bay from winning five or six football games a season. Because you look at that team, and yes, they have some nice players in terms of Devontae Adams, excellent players, some good guys in defense. But when you look at it as a whole, that team hasn't been built properly. And it's the reason why Aaron Rodgers has been pissed off over the last two seasons as well. So, look, it's it's a good time to, I guess, be a Bears fan to build that up as well. Like we said, we want these kind of exciting young teams kind of coming up and look that that's the important one look no where i want to bring this on to you is kind of looking ahead to this preseason game is i guess what do you want to take out of it because preseason games while they're nice to kind of see some of the younger players you don't get to see a lot of the starters you're not going to see a lot like you'll see the bears defense like some of those guys in for the first or second series like you'll probably see Khalil Mack on the field for about five plays <laughs> and that and that's it because they don't really need to play too much we are going to see a lot of Justin Fields which is very positive because obviously a lot of Bears fans wanted to see him but is there anything else that you're kind of going to be looking forward to in terms of watching this first preseason game and um, when you said it there first and foremost it, it, it will be Fields obviously I mean he is the future at quarterback so it's going to be nice to see him in actual action. Um, Score-wise, again, you don't really mind what way the game finishes. It's it's more about, as you say, maybe seeing players like Khalil Herbert, who I know he's number three in the depth chart, but I still think he looks like an exciting player. It'd be good to see him coming in to see what he's got. In terms of running back, Damien Will- is it da- Damien Williams, isn't it? Sorry, Damien. Yeah, Damien, yeah. Damien, yeah. Um, 
I mean, he hasn't played since the Super Bowl when arguably he, he could have been MVP in that game. I mean, with the year off for COVID, I'm assuming he's going to get a, a decent amount of touches. They're not going to give Montgomery too many. So it would actually be interesting to see how he comes back after a year being gone. Um, I'll be looking out to see him. Then you've just got the O-line. I mean, we're gonna Wilkinson is going to be really important now. It looks like if Jenkins isn't ready to go, he's the man they've designated to, to go in into that left tackle spot. So I'm guessing he's going to see a fair few more snaps than you would normally expect uh, to have seen him in. Um, so watching how he develops a left tackle and if it's something that he can he can adapt himself to, you know, successfully to to block for Dalton Arfields, whoever's playing. So they're the, they're the kind of ones that, that jump out to me. So outside the fields, I think Wilkinson is going to be really important to kind of keep an eye on to see how he how he handles being at that left side. Yeah, that's a, a very interesting one. And Tony, I want to bring you in on this one as well because we've kind of spoken a little bit about this. And yeah, obviously, definitely excited to see what Justin Fields can do. Look, the offensive line play, I think we can already tell at the moment it's going to be ugly tomorrow because at the end of the day, when you're down so many guys and after a certain amount of time, you'll see Cody Whitehair not be in, not be in there either because, again, last thing they need is another guy to go down, you'll see kind of Sam Mustafa maybe play a little bit longer into the game. But overall, is there is there anything that you're going to be looking at, even just to tell us, I guess, the way this roster construction is going to look over the next couple of weeks? Yeah, well, I have no idea what we're going to see there. Um, as you say, um, I, I don't think I'll even believe that anyone is fit until I see them on the field tomorrow. So we'll uh, we'll cross that bridge and we come to it. But yeah, even even just checking out to see how those guys, the, the second and third stringers, actually look. Obviously, we're all having a bit of a meltdown at the minute. But you know, if these guys end up, you know, showing up, then who knows? Um, you know, and actually, someone someone tweeted out. Um, uh, earlier on today, I think it was Ill uh, 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 Will. Uh, I, I don't know if I'd, I'd seen it anyway, and it was. A, I, I thought it was quite an interesting tweet. They were talking about Elijah Wilkinson, um, and he he uh, played like 500 snaps last season or something like that, giving up one sack. Um, and uh, if you equated that to a full season, he'd have given up two sacks. You know, 30 odd pressures or something like that. And we compare it against a guy like Charles Leno. He gave up six sacks, multiple penalties. You know, neither of them are. And what what what, he, what the guy was saying is neither of them are, are good. But one's making a million dollars, and the other one's making ten million dollars. So you know, arguably you could say that you know a left tackle if Wilkinson comes in, he may actually work out better than than Leno anyway. But in terms of what else I'd like to see, um, I'm interested to see um, with obviously Eddie Goldman's back from the. The COVID restriction, but he's unlikely to play. I'd like to see how Tonga works out, uh, our seventh round pick. He's kind of been uh, touted as the starter at, at nose tackle for us, so I'm curious to see what he can do. Um, the slot corner situation is curious as well. Want to see how Thomas Graham Jr. does. I'm a big, big fan of him. Think, think he could end up, you know, making a, a play for the, the starting slot there. Um, guys like Travis Gibson have looked good outside linebacker in training camp so far. Can that translate to the field? Ali Ogletree's come in and been an interception machine in, in training camp. Can that be a thing? Can he make the roster? You know, it'd be, it'd be great, um, um, considering the story and, and how he's got here. So, yeah, there's there's a lot. And the other thing as well is, is just 
obviously with fields playing, normally you see in preseason, uh, you know, a pretty kind of bland approach to to how things are played out. You know, they don't really open up the playbook too much. Are they going to maybe do it a wee bit more with fields just to get that opportunity to see what he can do with with kind of more difficult plays rather than just kind of throwing a couple of screens and running plays and handing the ball off and stuff like that? Are they going to try and open up a wee bit um, and and check out where the potential is? Yeah, absolutely. I, I completely agree. There's a lot of people in, in the chat that are agreeing with you in terms of for Kyrie's Tonga. So we have Alan here saying it's Tonga time. Ken Bruja, one of the guys that's come into the show. Tonga, Tonga, Tonga. Look, if you guys want to f- find out a little bit more about Kyrie's Tonga, we did have an interview with his defensive coordinator from BYU about two months ago. It's, it's on the channel, so make sure you do go check that out if you want some snippets about Zach Wilson and what he thought about that. Make sure you check that out too. So again, there's lots of content here for for you guys to kind of look through. Um, Mike, kind of the same sort of question to you in in terms of looking at this preseason because this preseason is probably a little bit more important than what we've seen in recent years just because there's a lot of guys last year that didn't get the preseason, that didn't get to kind of look in. Not so much even the guys that like make the team, but maybe some of the practice squad guys that didn't get to kind of play in those games. So what are you going to take away from some of these preseason games? Because I think you probably agree with a lot of us that really the scoreline doesn't matter. It's more of like the reps that these guys get and the experience that they're getting in these games. Yeah. The main thing that matters is nobody gets hurt because yeah. nobody wants anybody to get hurt in these games because they mean nothing. But from a on the field perspective, from Miami at least, Offensive line, again, just like you guys, we got a lot of youth up front. You want to see how the young guys look there. And Plus, the second string of Miami really has very little experience. So if there is at some point this year a God forbid type moment where someone gets hurt and we have to put someone, I want to see the second string offensive line, sort of who stands out there. Um, other thing is secondary. Obviously, we have Jones and Howard at corner, two lockdown guys who are absolutely fantastic. And we got a couple younger guys after them. We have Noah Igbenogany, who was a first-round pick last year struggled a bit i want to see uh how he looks this year in real um in a real preseason game because he he's he struggled last year but once again unique year for most rookies you can sort of give him a little bit of a pass but he also has struggled um so far this year in camp so um it's a big big preseason game for him um can he be the number three cornerback or number four cornerback so we got young cornerbacks behind howard and jones you want to see which sort of shakes out there and I'd probably say the last thing is running back. Miami, they don't have that lead number one running back like most teams do or someone you can really trust. Um, they signed Malcolm Brown from the Rams. They had Miles Gaskin, who was okay last year. He was good. He wasn't anything special. And after that, they got, once again, a bunch of young guys. You want to see how that running back room, you know, Brown, Miles Gaskin are like your one and one A for this team. I want to see after that. If there's anyone else who can sort of crack that that sort of one and one a and get some playing time, or maybe surpass them, because it's not in a possible running back room to get playing time. It's not impossible to pass Malcolm Brown. It's not impossible to pass Miles Gaskin. So running back, offensive line, corner. What do you expect from that running back room? Because it's definitely one that a lot of people are interested in. Look, obviously, there's a lot of people that play fantasy football and a lot of people look for these teams that you don't quite know what's happening at the running back position like in terms of for the bears it's it's very obvious that david montgomery is the kind of workhorse in terms of that running back room so those are kind of the more obvious ones but i do look at 
Like, I mean, you look at even the depth chart, there's, there must be six or seven guys there yeah. that are vying for probably, what, two, three positions to make that 53-man roster. And right now, obviously, Gaskin is the top. But let's say throughout the season, do you expect him to be the main running back or do you think this is going to be purely one of those committee approaches from Miami? It's a 100% running back by committee. I think if you're in a PPR-type league, <coughs> excuse me, if you're in a PPR-type league, you want Miles Gaskin. He'll catch the ball more. He'll be used in various ways in this offense out out of the backfield, receiving the ball. He'll get the majority, as of right now, of the work, per se, running the ball. But when they get inside the 20, inside the 10, it's going to Malcolm Brown. He's got the size to move the pile, which Miles Gaskin clearly does not. He's not built that way. So for touchdowns, Malcolm Brown's your guy. For, like, yards, receptions, everything else, Miles Gaskin. And also, Miami, It's it was a hot topic in the draft with that second first-round pick they had at pick, I think it was... 16, 17, 18, somewhere around there, I forget. Um, they went with Jalen Phillips, the pass rusher, out of the University of Miami, who most people on most draft boards, like of the experts, had him as the best pass rusher in the draft. He was still there. When a lot of fans of Miami Dolphins wanted them to take Najee Harris, the running back, who ended up with Pittsburgh, because we know it's a glaring need at running back. But the Miami Dolphins front office felt pass rusher has more value there than running back. You can get running backs later in the draft and all that good stuff. So they passed on the running back and went there. I think Miami, after week one of the regular season, there's a lot of veteran running backs out there. Todd Gurley, Adrian Peterson, Le'Veon Bell. I'm not saying these guys are any good by any means still. They're older. We know their best days are behind them. But if you sign them after week one of the regular season, their contract isn't guaranteed for the rest of the season. If you're on a team's roster week one, your contract's 100% guaranteed. If you wait till after week one, which with those guys who have a little bit of wear and tear, but you can sign them week two, and if by week eight or nine you they're just shot, they got nothing left. You can cut them and not be on the hook for any money against the cap. So I think after week one, they're going to sign one of those types because there's a lot of them out there, veteran guys whose best days are behind them. But in a committee with a Miles Gaskin, with a Malcolm Brown, you know you could have a Le'Veon Bell, you can have you know Adrian Peterson who's still going after all these years, and it's you know you'll be okay. You know, so it's not a strength on Miami, but Brown for touchdowns, Miles Gaskin for everything else. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Look, one of the one of the final questions that I want to want to ask you before um, we kind of will wrap up with some quick fire Bears questions. But I guess looking forward to the actual season in terms of the division, obviously Patriots were kind of top of the division for a long period of time, but now you have the kind of Bills coming through with. Josh Allen and playing the way that they did. How do you think that Miami are going to fare this year? Do you think the Patriots have a better season than last year, that it's going to be a more competitive division? and Or do you think that this is really a Bills division to to lose? Or do you think that Miami have a genuine possibility of kind of upsetting what I guess a lot of the lead analysts are saying now that the Bills should end up winning the division? When everybody's healthy, the Bills are the class of the AFC East right now. So I think, you know, as long as they don't lose like Josh Allen, they're going to win the AFC East most likely. Um, they're the heavy favorites, as they should be, as they should be. I think the Jets are going to be miserable. I think they're going to be just as bad as they were last year. I just don't see them. I don't know how they win games. I, I mean, they, until last week, their quarterback room didn't have one player who's taken one snap in the NFL, and they signed – I forgot who it was, just somebody who was like a veteran of some sort. They have, they've given Zach Wilson zero help in the quarterback room. 
The offensive line still a little shaky, and wide receivers are okay. So I just think the Jets are awful. When it comes to the Patriots, all I'll say is this. It is a quarterback's league, and they have gotten a lot of players back who opted out last year. They signed a ton of free agents and spent a ton of money. So the roster outside of quarterback is above average to very good. Cam Newton cannot play anymore, and I don't know what Mac Jones is. He's a rookie at the end of the day. Um, if they're going to roll out there with Newton, it's going to be very similar results to last year. It's a 500 team. It's a 500 team, 7-9, and nine, or now it's – Seven and ten, you know they're a five hundred team, eight, eight and whatever. Um, so if it's new and if it's Mac Jones, now he's a rookie, so they, it might be the same. But if he's really good, there's talent around him at least. Um, I think Miami realistic expectations wild card, get a wild card this year. You know, twenty nineteen they started off the year zero and seven and they ended up with five wins. It's um it's a minor miracle how that happened. Um, last year they win ten games, take another huge step. They just missed the playoffs. They were right there on the doorstep. And, again, with all the injuries they had, especially wide receiver, for them to even be in, you know, in contention that final week of the year, really with, you know, two quarterbacks, one of which being Ryan Fitzpatrick as well, was really to be just even considered that close was a big step. This year, make the playoffs is the next logical step. If, you know, the Bills have a ton of injuries and maybe we can – Find a way to win the AFC East. That's great, but it's not even the expectation. I think most logical fans of the Dolphins just want to be in the playoffs, and I think that's logical. The next logical step for them is they sort of take the next step in this rebuild and sort of move forward. Um, we'll worry about the Bills maybe in 2022, but this year I think make the playoffs. I still think they're better than the Patriots only because of the quarterback situation. Tua, he's young, but I think he's better than anybody on the Patriots at least. I mean, I have confidence <laughs> in saying that. Because Cam Newton was brutal last year. He's throwing balls off the ground, bounce passes. He was brutal. Yeah. I found it very funny that uh, – because I missed a lot of the the Patriots preseason game yesterday, and I I looked to see what was going on because it seemed like everybody was tweeting about Mac Jones. And the only video I saw of him was, like, one pass that was dropped in in the the end zone at the side. And, look, it it looked nice, but it's – Difficult to really project them because, again, you don't know who the quarterback's going to be. If it's Cam Newton, I, I can't see that team going very far because he's a shell of his former self. And you, again, like you said, it's a quarterback-driven league. You just have to look at the divisions with the good quarterbacks in. They're usually the toughest ones that are there. Look, Mike, it's, it's been great having you on the show today. It's good to get kind of a perspective from an opposing team, and it's not so much a – a rivalry when it's not a regular season game so it's good to to be relaxed do you want to tell some of our listeners where they can find some of your stuff because i know there'll be a lot of people interested in the miami dolphins this year yeah absolutely um if you want to learn or just stay up to date on anything and everything with the miami dolphins go to our website dolphinstalk.com even if it's for like fancy football advice who's playing well who's playing bad we're gonna have all that stuff we'll we'll have you up to date on all the latest with the Miami Dolphins. And on Twitter, you can follow me at Dolphins Talk. Perfect. Thanks so much for joining us today, Mike. We'll definitely be, we'll be bringing you on anytime there's some interesting news in terms of the Miami Dolphins, if we ever get to play you guys in a regular season game again. Uh, I think it's coming up soon. I'm not sure which year, but it'll be here before we know it. <laughs> yeah, so we'll definitely have you on again. Thanks so much for joining us today, yeah, Mike. Cool, guys. Enjoy the game. Thanks, Mike. Take care. Yeah, well, Cheers. enjoy the game, Mike. All right, guys, so we have a couple more minutes. We're going to kind of go through some of the big topics in terms of Bears. It was great being able to have Mike on to be able to look at 
<laughs> to be able to look at some of the main storylines in terms of what's coming up here. This is a very funny one. I actually want to bring this up. Um, did you did y'all ask about Omar? Look, I wanted to bring this up. I didn't want to be kind of too out there. But what is that dude talking about? <laughs> dude goes one one day he is talking about Justin Fields looking lost, and then the next day having to eat his words because Justin Fields looks like the best quarterback, or actually from a lot of beat reporters that were out there, the best player on the field. And that I think it was what Thursday. So look, no, I want to bring you in because like. We haven't got to talk too much probably since around draft time and kind of want to get your opinions on exactly how you think this has kind of, I guess, progressed since we spoke then. Because we've seen, obviously, OTAs, mini camp, and now training camp. We're finally starting to see a corner where I feel like there's genuine optimism around Justin Fields in terms of he's actually the one that's getting a lot of the better plays in terms of the two quarterbacks. And for me, you mentioned something very, very good earlier, and I know Tony mentioned it as well. He now needs to stack those practices, and now you need to put it into the coach's mind where they're like, we can't afford not to start him. Like, I was listening to the Hogan Johns podcast, and I think it was Adam Hogue mentioned that after Thursday Thursday's practice, it was the first time that he said Justin Fields looked – very much superior than Andy Dalton, which in previous practices he had said that both players looked good. Nobody was particularly bad, but nothing was special. But then yesterday he saw those special plays, or not yesterday, sorry, Thursday, and he saw those special plays throughout. Yeah, no, I mean, I have to say, no, I'm I'm very optimistic about Fields. Obviously, being a rookie, you don't want to be getting too carried away. And I know a lot of fans from other teams are kind of getting bored with Bears fans talking fields now. But look, you have to understand, you probably all had quarterbacks. We haven't. And it looks like now, touch wood, that we have a future franchise quarterback. But I mean, in, in terms of, of what fields has to do, as, as you say, he just needs to keep stacking up those those points, you know, those those good plays um, and and making plays and, and looking like he knows what he's doing out there. And he, he does so far. I mean, I found a, a lot of goodwill from, you know, Miami beat writers who are praising him. And I, I've noticed just in general, the national conversation, I've heard fields being talked about more than any other quarterback from the draft class. And everything is positive. And as a Bears fan, I'm, I'm kind of sitting back going, oh, okay, they're all being positive about this quarterback now. They're all saying he should play. Um. Yeah, so no, definitely positive, definitely loving what we've seen so far. At the end of the day, as I said earlier, the, the cream rises to the top. And and if he is who we think he is, it should become apparent between himself and Dalton who is the better player. Now, if he can do enough to play in week one, I, I don't know. It kind of feels like Maggie's mind is is strongly against seeing him starting the season. But again, if Fields keeps putting it to him, then... You know, he gives him a decision to make, and the more he does what he's doing, the more the press hype it up, the more the national media hype it up, the more the fans hype it up, the more Nagy and and the Bears then have to just stand back and say, okay, <laughs> can we afford not to play him now? He he really is stepping up to the mark. So yeah, positive. Looking forward to it. Have me feels jersey ready for tomorrow. Yeah, absolutely. Look, it's or today. <laughs> Yeah, today technically, it's, <laughs> yeah for for us or anybody that's in that's in there, 
but in the chat it's today for us obviously because we're at like two o'clock in the morning over here in ireland but like it's always good to be able to talk we'll be on for probably another five ten minutes so make sure you guys get your questions in make sure that you like the video because obviously the likes kind of push the video up so more people can see it share it with any of your kind of followers share it with all your friends because again the more we get out here and more people kind of join into these shows, the more shows we can do for you guys. So make sure that you do do that. Make sure that you are subscribed onto YouTube as well. Um, but yeah, Tony, kind of same sort of thing. We, we've spoken recently about Justin Fields and kind of what we've seen, but being able to hear about how he was the quarterback that after a day struggling against a opposing team, that he was the one that was able to put it all together and look really good. And obviously that kind of red zone period of play was, was excellent. <laughs> and it's, it's something we don't really hear about. Like obviously throughout time when Mitch was here, it was like the odd play that looked good, but it was never special. And we're starting to hear that more and more about Justin Fields, that he has these special plays in him. And before they were only seeing it maybe once or twice, but it was always there that he was kind of showing people a little bit. And the one thing that I keep coming up with, and this shows how good a quarterback can be, when he can make wide receivers that have been pretty much like journeymen kind of come in and be able to fight for a roster spot because they're in position to make plays, it just goes to show. Like you just have to look at John Bay Johnson. He's one that's been around the league before. It's not like he's a rookie that has been an undrafted guy this year and it's just this guy that nobody really found. I think he played for Jacksonville and their practice squad. He like he didn't get to play much there. But he's actually battling players because he's making plays and the chemistry between him and Justin Fields is very good. So what does all this tell you when you kind of hear some of these stories as of late about Justin Fields? Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head there in terms of what you're saying about the wide receivers. Um, I think you know, Fields is is kind of elevated their play a wee bit and made them look a wee bit better. You're beginning to hear their names. You know, last year you probably, um, if they're playing with Trubisky or they're playing with Foles, they're probably, you know, they're never going to get mentions. Um, probably a less chance to make the team at the end of the day as well. Um, so, you know, great quarterbacks and we're totally getting ahead of ourselves here, but but great quarterbacks do elevate the team. I mean, you just have to look at Green Bay, and as you mentioned earlier on, Aaron Rodgers. If he's not in that team, you know they're 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 nowhere near the same the same kind of um, uh, setup. Um, so yeah, it's 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 absolutely huge. I think as well, you know, the fact that we've had this this week, we've had the the Miami uh, pundits come in and also kind of sing his praises. Um, at times anyway um means that it's not just that chicago hype it's 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 everywhere and i think tomorrow or today when it's going to be on the network everyone's going to be able to see and play and if he has a good outing a good showing then again then you're going to be talking about nationally how good justin fields is it's going to be build momentum it's going to put the pressure on Nagy and the coaches to maybe think, oh well, you know what? Maybe we should stick him in week one. I think with Nagy though, he's he's he can be a bit uh, pig-headed. Um, so if he said, <laughs> if he said, I'm going with Dalton, maybe he will stick with Dalton. But I think I I I, I don't know. I just this is something tells me that in the back of his mind, he's he doesn't believe that either. So 
you know, we'll wait and see how it goes. We'll wait and see how we go tomorrow um, against the Bills next week um, and, and and see how we can kind of stack these practices. But um, the other thing as well, uh, elevating wide receivers and making them stand out better, there's a possibility that, you know, we've got this O-line problem, but maybe having Justin Fields in there instead of Andy Dalton, having his manoeuvrability, having his, his escapability is going to make that look not as bad as it could be. Um, again, that's just uh, projection at the minute. We need to actually see it happen tomorrow. Um, but again, that could kind of hide the problems at O-line for a couple of weeks just until we get people back from the injury list and all that kind of thing. Maybe get a couple of extra bodies in from uh, uh, cuts later on in the in the, the, the month as well. Yeah, absolutely. I, I completely agree. It's it's one of those that there's some there's some of the the comments here actually that I found really interesting in terms of Tony is kind of put in when we were talking earlier about him kind of elevating the play of other players. You've John Bay Johnson, who I think he's the most likely one to actually make the team at this point in time because of just how good that chemistry is with Fields. I don't know if he plays special teams or not. That could be a reason why he may not make it or he. He might be on the fringe because, look, even though we don't like Javon Williams as much, he, he plays special teams. So he uh, he does have a leg up. Daz Newsom has a leg up on guys. I know Anthony's probably going to be listening to this tomorrow and just having a fit that it's an hour and 25 minutes and it's the first time we've mentioned Daz Newsom. So, Anthony, this is just for you. Um, But, yeah, look, it's, it is one of those that I think is that's the most interesting point to see who's going to step up because this is what I find. Look, the Bears know roughly 44 to 45 of the 53 players that are going to make this roster. And then you always have about seven or eight other guys that can make it towards the end. The problem for some of these guys are now is that Alec Ogletree has come through and he's probably going to make this roster because of how good he's played. And that can show some of these other kids that, you come in, you work hard, you make plays, and you could be one of the kind of likely guys to make a roster. And look, it, it's important, I think, that somebody steps up on the O-line because, again, you're going to have, what, roughly eight, nine guys probably make the roster. We know of six or seven of those, but a couple of those are injured right now. So this is a perfect time for some of these guys that are, not expected to make this roster to kind of come up and actually stake a claim. And it's always good to talk to some of these guys from the other teams, because when we hit that last preseason game, there's going to be a lot of cuts and there's going to be a lot of players. And even though we're talking about some of these guys that are going to make the roster, once cut down day comes, you're going to likely take in one or two players from opposing teams, especially this year, considering that, these GMs are going to see undrafted free agents from last season that didn't get to play in preseason games. So teams weren't going to pick up some of an opposing team's undrafted guys last year because they had no idea really what they were like, especially if it was like a tryout guy. But this time you're going to see them playing games. And so you're going to, I think you're going to see a lot more kind of waiver claims this year than we've ever seen. Well, not that we've ever seen, but over and over the last couple of seasons. So I think that this preseason is actually going to be pretty interesting. I like that it's only three games because I think four just drags it out way too much. 
three is grand. You see this first game here, second game against the Bills, which will be a little bit more realistic against in terms of a full a full setup. But look, I, I find it it's very interesting. That last game's hard to watch because we're gonna see probably a lot of Nick Foles. Um I don't know what Nagy might do. Nagy might at that point in time just be like, look, Justin Fields needs more reps. So play him. But again, normally you see in that last preseason game that it's pretty much guys that are never going to make the roster and a lot of guys that are not going to make it in the NFL full stop. And there's a couple of good comments here. So Tony said, yes, this is true. So they cut Thomas Ives today after they activated Eddie Goldman. And again, that's one of those, I guess, dominoes from a guy like Alec Ogletree playing so well. He was one of the last players that got signed. And instead of him going back out, they've now cut one of the wide receivers that's been here for two or three seasons already. So, look, it's it's definitely it's definitely important. Um, a couple of good other good comments. So seeing the ball travel further than five yards down the field for a completion <laughs> is exciting. Yeah, it's it's nice to see that we have a quarterback that can launch a ball 50 yards and it's right on the money with anticipation as well. That's the one thing that we're seeing more of Justin Fields over the last few days that a lot of the reporters are saying that even was it the, I think it was a 50 yard pass to John Bay Johnson that actually Johnson wasn't even in the position to catch the ball yet, but Justin Fields anticipated where he was supposed to be and delivered the ball perfectly. And that's what you want to see because at the end of the day, where did we struggle most last year? was when we were trying to play the deep ball because either a wide receiver wasn't in the right spot, it got dropped, Javon, or we have Mitch that just wasn't able to get it there. And look, with Foles, he just couldn't move. So look, regardless of who starts a quarterback, I know there's people that aren't big fans of Andy Dalton, but compared to what we had last year, it's actually still a slight upgrade. And then when you look at Justin Fields, once he comes in – I know, like Tony, you said, we may be getting ahead of ourselves here. I've never heard of anybody talking about a Bears quarterback the way we're hearing them, even when Cutler was here. And Cutler was a good player. Like I know he had the interception mistakes quite a lot, but Cutler's arm was legit. And we're seeing people talk kind of openly about how Fields just looks better. And it's one of the best situations that we kind of find ourselves in. So with that, there was a question earlier on that I kind of want to end this on. Um, and it's all around Matt Nagy. I'll, I'll see, can I kind of pull it up? But oh, here it is from Alan Watson. Um, so he says, what do you think about Nagy calling plays again? This is a big one because a lot of people have questions about no matter who comes in, whether it's Dalton or Fields, is, do Bears fans have confidence that Matt Nagy can actually call a successful offense because we haven't seen it probably since what 2018 where i guess they started off well but for large portions of the games the bears offense was pretty stale you you saw the team do well in like the opening drive and they seem to score pretty much every week in the opening drive and the defense kind of put them in position to get other points but we've never really seen a a top flight or even average offense since matt nagy has come into chicago yeah, no, in terms of Nike calling players, now I have to be honest, I'm not too um, too excited about that prospect. 
as you say, in 2018, we had that run where we would score with the first drive in every game. But I think that was that was scripted before they even kicked off. They 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 had that scripted on what plays yeah. they going with. So in game calling for Nagy is it's it's not great. Um, and I mean it got even worse last season. Uh, and then obviously he stepped out for a while and things seemed to improve. Now obviously you look at the opposition we had in that five six game run. It wasn't the greatest, but still, things did seem to improve a bit. And then there were the stories that you know Nagy reinstated himself for the uh, for the the New Orleans game again, and things didn't look great. So, no, I think look, I think Nagy can be a good head coach. I think he he gets on well with his players, but I think he needs to know his limitations. And he 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 can draw up great plays, and he can draw up plays to get people open. But his in game management for me. I mean, no, it's 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 not something I would like to see anyway. Yeah, look, I want to see Matt Nagy. Like, the one thing I I feel like I want to see from him is stop being so tense, relax, and let the game come to you. Because when did we see some of the plays that worked under Matt Nagy? It was in that 2018 season when he was actually having fun calling plays, and. He kept it. Look, you can keep an offense simple, but still have kind of complexities to it. It doesn't have to be this crazy offense in year one of both of our quarterbacks. It's like, keep it simple. Like at the end of the day, most offenses in the NFL are relatively the same. It's the same sort of offense in terms of whatever style you have. And then there's variances. So like you, you look at some of these offensive weapons that come in and they say that, Offense, pretty much the same. Terminology is different and certain ways that they ask a route to be run or a pass to be thrown is, is a little bit different. But it doesn't have to be completely different than what we see in many other situations in the NFL. So for me, my biggest takeaway from Matt Nagy is I want to see him relax a little bit, go back to enjoying when he was there at Kansas City in Colin Place. Like he had Alex Smith. He, wa- he wasn't that good of a quarterback he had one excellent season but he worked with Alex Smith before then when he wasn't the kind of I guess elite game manager that he was in that first season when Patrick Mahomes was there look just to end the show Tony I'm going to give you kind of the last word on this is what would be your expectation of Matt Nagy or what do you want to see from him that's a little bit different this year than what we've seen over the last couple of years yeah, I think uh, with me, it's, it's the same as, as what you guys have already said. It's kind of just echoing that same sentiment is, um, you know, be aware of your uh, limits. Um, you know, use the guys that you've got around about you. You know, Bill Lazor, Dave Filippo, you've got, you've got all these guys there that you can lean on. You know, don't feel like you have to uphold this image that that's been portrayed about you being this QB guy, this like, you know, come up with these crazy offensive schemes and as you say just just go out there and set the team up to play to their strengths and i think he's he's been criticized and rightly so for for not setting up to play to mitch's strength last year um and 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 really just like you know this is the offense i'm not going to change it um he really has to to to, to think about what the future is for him here as well because end of the day um he might not be here in a season or two's time if he continues down that same vein. You know, the likelihood is Ryan Pace will maybe, he'll probably still be here. You know, Justin Fields will probably still be here. 
Um, but Matt Nagy might not be, so he really needs to think about how he wants to to go the next season or two, um, and and really tailor the um, the plays to Fields um, or, or Dalton for however long he's in, um, and really really capitalise on where your strengths lie. So that's just what I want to see from him. You know, I know he's got BU on there, but maybe he could say be someone else for. <laughs> You know, a couple of plays and see see if uh, see if that works out a wee bit better. Yeah, that would definitely be great. Look, it's been great being able to kind of preview a game. And look, we are going to be live um, tomorrow after the game. We will kind of update you guys on exactly the time. Obviously, um, we will. We might. We may end up waiting for to hear from Nagi and stuff after, so we can kind of break down what his thoughts are. But we will be on live after the game tomorrow so make sure that you guys check it out and just have a bit of fun with us we'll we'll be kind of relaxed i think anthony will be with us tomorrow as well he's taking a a bit of a day off today from from the show but again you will get to see you better hope that daz newson doesn't have some breakout game otherwise anthony's going to be doing the show topless or something like that it's going to be it'll be very very funny but look it's it's always great make sure that you guys are subscribed over on onto youtube make sure you follow us on all the kind of social media channels we have facebook twitter instagram tiktok make sure that you follow us all on there um again like i said make sure that you're subscribed on youtube make sure you share the channel because again the more people in this gets to the more content that we can give you guys and that's what we want to do we just want to make this show for all of you guys so you can you can basically have your say and look Throughout the season, we will be kind of opening kind of streams up so that you guys can come on, have your have your say as well, kind of give give your opinions because that's the one thing that we enjoy about the show is that everybody doesn't have to have the same opinion. We see guys in the in the chat all the time that are conversing, and it's really great to see. So that's what we're going to be looking for. We will have a couple of shows next week as well. So. We do have a show on Wednesday, which will have a lot of our normal hosts on, but also we will have Brendan Sugaru on because he is going to be at the game. And same with Lesser Will Funk Jr. So he will be coming on the show as well. On Thursday, then we will have a Bills reporter coming on to preview the Buffalo Bills and Bears game. And we will again have a post game for, for next week on that too. So make sure that you do check us out. But until tomorrow, enjoy the game. Make sure that all you guys have your Justin Fields jerseys on. And look, the last thing that we can say, let's hope for a Bears win and some a lot of touchdowns from Justin Fields, but also bear down. Bear down. Bear down. Bear down.